welcome to Repertory Screenings episode. I didn't even pull it up. Jackson, what do you think it is? Uh, what else is the thing? I think it's 46. It is 48. Shit. But, you know, good guess. I am joined by my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, that's me. And Destiny. Hi. And it's movie time once again. We're here. That's We're watching right. movies. We are. We are doing that. Um, Destiny, what have you seen? I've seen, I've got three movies to talk about. All right. Uh, the first of those three was a movie I watched a couple of weeks ago called Losing Ground. It is the 1982 film written and directed by Kathleen Collins. It is considered the first feature-length drama directed by a black woman since the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about this philosophy professor who's married to this painter and... She kind of has this flirtation going on with the guy from Night of the Living Dead. And uh, her husband's kind of flirting with this Puerto Rican lady. And it's just sort of about their marriage and just what happens when two people that are seeking certain things uh, try to get those things and how it strains their marriage. It was a pretty good movie. And then I watched... Stephen Freer's 1984 road crime film, The Hit, with John Hurt and Tim Roth and Terrence Stamp. And it was, uh, I watched it with you. Yes. It's about, yeah. oh, go on. Oh, it was just, it was in the neo-noir collection on Criterion, and we were just looking for something to watch, uh, and threw that on. And yeah, it's about a uh, part of a heist gang who, like, it opens with him at the trial, like, ratting on all his friends, getting them all sent to jail. Ten years later, he's hanging out in Spain. Like, clearly he took the deal and they set him up in Spain, like, in the middle of nowhere or whatever. And uh, Tim Roth and uh, John Hurt are there uh, being hired by one of the guys who's now out or whatever to come get him and kill him. Um, and John Hurt is the most, like, tired He's he's like what if Tom Cruise in Collateral but with twenty years on him, just like the most like rundown man. And Tim Roth is like his apprentice on his first uh, assassination, and they just grab him. And he's been living the high life in Spain for ten years, so he's like, I'm ready to go. We could just go. We'll take the road trip. We'll talk to him. You kill me, it's fine. And it turns into an existential misadventure through uh, the Spanish and then French uh, countryside. It's fucking great. I loved this movie. Yeah, it was really fucking good. So if you're looking for neo-noirs to watch, that one gets a recommendation. <clears throat> yes. I was watching that and I sent a message to Jackson like, you need to download this. You need to watch this. It story. seems like extremely my shit. Yes. Yeah, you would like it. <laughs> um, and then uh, I also watched The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, which is a 1976 film uh, directed by Nicholas Gessner, starring Jodie Foster and Martin Sheen, uh, about uh, Jodie Foster, who's 13 in this movie, um, and she lives with her poet father. He's like a famous poet, but he's really reclusive, and all the neighbors are nosy about this like famous guy and the daughter who lives there, because every time they come over, they just run into her, who seems like this precocious child who's like making excuses for her father, and is he is the father really there? Did she maybe kill him? Is he is he missing? Uh, who can say? And turns into this. This was on Shutter, uh, which is like one of those like Shutter gets old movies because they're of interest, but it's like a slant thing. And the posters are definitely very like this is a horror movie. This is based on a stage play. It is about like the ways in which adults disregard, but also like overinvest in, in children who they wish to exploit. Um, and it's about her trying to navigate all these adults who want different things from her and like trying to push her around and how she can navigate that stuff. Um, and Char- Martin Sheen's a big fucking creepo in this movie. Yes. Uh, it's really good. He comes in and he's like, he's like the ne'er do well, like, you know, uh, son of like the the lady who leased them the house who's like you know a scion of the community like prim and proper uh but it's martin sheen so i'm like oh it just sounds like jed bartlett but he's being like a creeper to this fucking child um and it's good uh it's it, jody foster's great in it um yeah i was really surprised by the movie it was just nice and chill uh as like you know a movie clearly based on the play you could they just film it in sets but it could just be a stage production and it would not change any bit um I really liked it. Yeah, I, I love that movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is one of those, like, I pulled up a chair. I'm like, okay, this has stars in it. And uh, I was looking for a short movie from the 70s. So here we go. Um. But yeah, it was good. Recommend. Not scary at all, but it's fine. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Jackson. Uh, I watched the 1987 movie, uh, The Running Man. One of my favorite films. Because it was um, Running Man time on Just King thing. And they were doing a, a bonus episode on that after doing the book. And I was like, oh, you know, I hear things about that movie. It's like 90 minutes long. I should watch it. And I had a great time. Um, um, it's fantastic. It really yeah. is. I, I'm surprised just how much I liked it. I expected not to, not for any um, reasons to do with the movie itself, just because of just like cultural baggage to do with like, I was born in 93, so everyone slightly older than me thought that like 80s action movies were the coolest things in the world and would quote them constantly and I found it really obnoxious. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a generational remove there. And I was watching it realizing like, I haven't actually gone to the source on a lot of these. Like I've seen Die Hard um, but that's barely well. That's like a it ushers in a new age of action cinema. It's barely part of this. It only like brushes up against it by virtue of similar like quoting patterns, right? It is a yeah, generic and, shift. You know, I mean, you love Die Hard three, one of the greatest films ever made. I so. love Die Hard three. Die Hard two fucking sucks. Die Hard three, incredible. Love that movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I was just like, oh, I'll watch this, but I'm not expecting much. And then was really taken aback by uh, how good it was. Um, I think the uh, the it made me realize that a lot of the way we talk about movies with big ideas and blockbusters in these days is to do with the way those big ideas interact with the plot in a way that i think is honestly i'm not gonna say harmful because i think there are movies that can do it well but uh (sighs) there is no sense in the running man that the ideas about news and society and the 80s and consumerism is going to cohere right it's not going to cohere into a subversive point at the end of the movie in it is there to be texture through a generic like movie the movie is it has very generic structure he like go through the thing and fight the thing wins there's no subversion right it's not a plot movie the ideas are like textural uh and you can like sit in them and think about them and there is no expectation that this hollywood movie is going to come to a perfect conclusion about how news media and reality tv will all work together um and i i, and I just liked it i liked it a lot because i feel like uh in versions of this that you would get now would try to like do something meta about it in a way that while those ideas are there they, they are not centered in you know the movie is just a fun time <laughs> uh, and I, I really liked it so yeah glad i watched it yeah, that's a movie of my childhood. I have endless affection for it. They used to have lights in movies. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Colors. Colors, Colors light. and light. Like, there's parts of it where it looks kind of cheap, and you can tell it's a kind of rush production. Um, but the not in the staging and light. Like they are, there's always lights. There's always an actual film camera. And so it always looks really good, even in its, like... Uh, rough b-moviness in a way that like you know we mention this every time anyone ever talks about marvel movies they're, they're running across a gray car park uh yeah and here you get the family feud guy <laughs> he's so good i didn't know he was the family feud guy till i looked up after the fact oh really yeah yeah i'm too british for this uh, fair enough but I looked it up and I was like, damn, he stole the whole movie. Not just the like uh, bits where he's doing Game Show Presented, just like the regular scenes as well. He's like a weird, creepy guy. Uh, he's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, so had a great time. Good movie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's one that like absolutely recommend. It's just like a, a great crowd pleaser of a film and also like kind of a crunchy like sci-fi B-movie of the 80s. Just mm-hmm. good. Yep. Um, yeah. All right, that's everything. We're going to talk about our movie. Uh, this week's movie is An American in Paris, a 1951 musical comedy film uh, inspired by the orchestral composition American Paris by George Gershwin, uh, who is dead at the time this movie comes out. It is uh, written by Alan J. Lerner and directed by Vincent Minnelli. Um, it stars Gene Kelly and Leslie Caron and Oscar Levant and Georges Guitari and Nina Falk as a bunch of people in Paris, most of them Americans, who... <laughs> in a post-World War II scenario, have just decided to stay there and be layabouts. Because that's what Americans did in the middle of the 20th century. They're just chilling. They didn't want to leave. They won. They won. They ruled the world. They could just fucking chill out. They didn't want to leave the city of beauty that is constructed primarily of MGM backlot sets. And, um... (laughs) 
Jerry, who is Gene Kelly's character, is, wants to be a painter, and he hangs out with uh, Adam, who's Oscar Levant's character, who wants to be a pianist, and uh, they have a friend who's a singer, uh, uh, Henri, who's uh, George Guattari, uh, and they just kind of hang out and hang out, just, they're men about town, living their lives, doing their art, uh, like, very La Vie Boheme, but no one's ever going to get sick and die. Uh, it's just good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um and uh they run across they run afoul of some women <laughs> they do um so uh jerry is torn between two women uh who is uh milo who who is like a, a very cultured lady and she has means and she loves his work and wants to help him and sets him up in a studio and whatever but he doesn't love her uh he loves lisa who's like a young girl who who works at a perfume counter and can offer him nothing but it's the romance of perry um but he's torn between these two things um and mopes about it also she is in like this strange inertia relationship with Henri because he helped her out during the war uh when she was part of the resistance right is that it? Her, her parents, parents are part of the were... resistance. Yes, her parents were part of the resistance. He helped her out, and then they, they, you know, she grew to love him, and he grew to love her, and the nurse is keeping them together. Um, and so he's like, "Oh, damn, we can't be in love." Uh, and I'm not in love with like uh, the uh, milfy rich lady who's helping me out. What do I do? Uh, which eats him up through the entire movie. And then what he decides to do is dance to a 17 minute ballet, and then everything's solved, and the movie ends. Um, because this is a movie about Gene Kelly choreographing cool dances he wants to do in Paris settings, and that's it. The framework just supports that, um, and that's the movie. Yeah, uh, I'd seen this before. Uh, this is like a. I think this is a, outside of the dance sequences, which are genuinely inspired, and I think the seventeen thing, minute thing is great. Uh, that is a middling Gene Kelly movie. I think he's great in it. I think the like dilettante nature of people hanging out in Paris is like enjoyable, but like. This ain't singing in the rain. This ain't summer stock. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do. I love the fucking dance sequence of the dance movie. It's incredible. The movie's just worth it to get to the, that 17 minutes and enjoy it. Uh, you probably could just watch 17 minutes on YouTube if they're on YouTube and have a great time. I'm yeah. here to say you should just do that. The movie fucking sucks. No, <laughs> no. no, it's fine. It's, it's charming. It's, it's terrible. No, it's charming and <laughs> What's colorful. What's charming about it? Oh, uh, I mean, so, okay, okay. So I do, I do like everyone hanging out and well, in, in post World War Two France uh, and being like, oh, you know, kind of just chilling, chilling, boys' night. But the most of the movie is uh, Gene Kelly like negging this woman into hanging out with him and being like, this is true love. This is the this is the love of, of all times. Yeah, their uh, relationship yeah. isn't built on much. <laughs> but neither is her other one, and she's engaged to that guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like it just because it is like one of those like frivol frivolous, like romantic comedies where like, you're not really invested in any of the characters actually getting together. They just kind of bounce off each other. I'm like, you should just pick the lady who's got all the money, but like, he doesn't love her or whatever. Um, also she's like the one who can't dance and it's a musical. So what are you going to do? Right? Like he's got to be with the lady who can dance. He's torn between two women, one who can't act and one who can't dance. What are you going to do if you're Gene Kelly? You need to synthesize the two. That's why Summer Stock's the best Gene Kelly movie because he's against Judy Garland. Judy Garland could do fucking both she can dance and act around gene kelly all day long um, <laughs> yeah because i wouldn't say that gene kelly can nest i mean he he is acting fine but i would not say he can act in the, he's a dancer right yes that's that is his main his main attraction i think he's, he's a good got, he's got a nice he's got a nice of unremarkable voice i think he's like charming in the way that mid-century leading men are i think he does better than most in that era because like mm -hmm. this is not an era where i think guys are like attractive to me uh as someone who's interested in men um but i love gene kelly i think he's super charming um this is the era of monty cliff james dean and marlon brando being hot as hell i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> Like Brando's Brando's different, but like I don't give a shit about those other two. I just don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I find the movie very charming and it's the fluffiest, stupidest plot, but I don't know. I, I really I, I'm a big George Gershwin fan. I was really into all the music and uh it made me happy. I don't know. There's a sequence where uh Adam is playing 
a concert where he's playing all the roles in the uh, to like a big uh to eventually a, a audience that's made up of him also with like a bunch of like cool composite effects i love that sequence that stuff's great uh gene kelly dancing with all the kids is like one of my enduring memories of the movie it's just you know like most like most early like pre they have plots and people care about them musicals it's about getting from one number to the other because you're in a theater and you're probably watching like six things over three hours and you know it's fun um yeah i guess i came to it too much as like a expecting a movie i guess <laughs> uh, because like it, it's a musical but this is a jukebox musical uh, josh glassman's fucking dead yes um so they have taken songs and they don't there's it's strange there it is not a musical in the sense of like um an emotional moment happens that is expressed through song, right? Um, no, they just kind of like no. slot in the songs wherever there are. The only one thing that is like kind of that is the ending, uh, yeah. And that's that's a, that's a like ballet number, not a not a musical number. Uh, though I did really like it, and I was like almost one back over. I was like, fine, this this dance sequence is really good. And then it, then they have a minute after the ballet sequence, which is even worse. I was like, why? Oh, no, it's so funny because they're like, ah, oh, big dance sequence over. She comes back. Fuck that. Like he doesn't care. He's gone. And then they walk away. What do we What do we know about uh, Rich Milfy Lady? Nothing. She has no idea this has happened. <laughs> no She's idea. Probably shattered. Yeah. Because when the when the dance sequence happened, I'm like, okay, you know, fair enough. This whole thing is. Um, this whole dumb romance is a big like stupid melodrama and the actual thing that matters is just being in paris is what i'm taking away from this but then it comes back it's like oh she's back everything's fine don't think about it the, the happy ending and i'm like what are you, <laughs> what are you doing what are you doing uh, that's kind of what time. these movies are that's just what these movies are it's weird because like I, this doesn't have to be true and i think like if, once you get to the late like 50s musicals you get movies that are much more invested in the characters. Like, Sing in the Rain is a movie about some characters you can relate to. Their problems are interesting. Like, that's, you know, it's a classic for a reason because it works in a way that this one is, feels like it, it. This is coming out of the old, like, studio musicals of the, like, 30s and 40s, but, like, mm -hmm. in this transitory period where, like, you know, this is, like, movies used to be you just go and watch a bunch of people dance for an hour and a half, two hours, and there's very little framework, and, like, this is kind of what this is. And the songs aren't necessarily about their emotional dialogue in the way that, like, later movies ended up that's what frames musicals in a modern context um but like without any of that context and like whatever like it is it is like the world's hokiest non-problem of uh torn between two women he loves and none of it, it has like huge stakes really necessarily um because everyone's just kind of there to have a good time they're just here to chill like you know he he could go back to that lady and be like i love this girl but you know you got the money and she would have been fine uh <laughs> uh honestly she'd been way happier <laughs> yes um because yeah the, the the it's more like i i think that the part where it's doing like stage acts right it's like here's the next song we come to the next song mm -hmm. we have a good good song and dance about it and it's good fun a fine and uh fun but like it's still a 19 like it's a, no, two hours long it's a two hour long movie with a lot of story in it and there's a lot of like you know you can go 15 minutes of all of this without <laughs> a dance sequence um and it's just a situation where, like, this would be so much better if it wasn't a movie, if it wasn't, like, a coherent narrative piece. The parts where they've added that in, the structure that, like, is an excuse here makes the, like, really good parts worse by its inclusion. And I, I've been thinking a little bit about it, but, like, how much of this is just, like, I'm in 2021 and this is, like, a romantic movie from the 50s, right? Um, and music videos didn't exist yet. <laughs> music videos didn't exist yet, right? This uh, is the vehicle for music videos, mm -hmm. is movies like this uh but i i think that the movie does find ways to be like particularly um unseemly is the wrong because it's not like creepy but it's more it's more that those like the the thing that chooses to highlight as its dilemmas are even by the standards of the 50s particularly frustrating and i'm trying to watch a movie like his problem with rich milf lady is that she by being too forward is robbing him of his masculinity right and everyone's making fun of him that he doesn't get to chase her uh and whereas the reason he loves this other lady is that he gets to like win her by calling her constantly when she's like please leave me alone for the love of god i hate you <laughs> it's literally shoving down the phone and saying that to his face but it's fine it doesn't matter um it's just a it's just like you didn't i don't know why this is in here but i guess this is just what it was Um, 
Yeah, I mean, yes and no. It's because, like, this is, like, a huge studio production, right? Like, you can go to the 30s. Like, even in the 30s, you can find, like, screwball comedies that are, like, have good characters and story. And you right. can find stuff. Like, you know, the, mu- the the musicals that I think are, like, really good are mid-50s musicals. It's not, like, too divorced from this. But this is MGM's best, you know, best Oscar-winning picture of 1951 or whatever. Um, like, this movie, this movie was, like, one of those that, like, won all the awards. <laughs> Um, sure. So of course it's like stodgy because that's where Hollywood was. Like this is what New Hollywood is fighting against is fucking movies like this. You know what? That ma- <laughs> Which is fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what? If that makes sense. If this is what you see and then you're like, I'm going to fucking start copying the French. It's 1963. I get it. Um, <laughs> but I also just have a fondness for this. I just like, I like when everyone dances and is happy. Uh, and like the ballet, like I like legitimately, I think is incredible. Um, you know, they, they spent, <laughs> you know, all the money on the ballet. Uh, through a bunch of sets and tons of extras and everyone looks like different types of paintings and there's like four costume changes and it's just it's just a spectacle in a way that movies like when we watched Lawrence of Arabia that's like a good character movie but sometimes it's just a spectacle sometimes you just go to the movie you used to go to the movies to see something you couldn't see anywhere else mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing that I feel like movies have lost in a way that like I love seeing that in mid-century movies I mean, they're still trying it, right? That was that advert about Black Widow in 240 degrees Panavision. Oh, yes. I mean, if I look, if there was one of those around here, um, I probably wouldn't do it for Black Widow, but I would go see any other movie in, in Super Panavision. I'd oh, see I didn't whatever. Hear about this. It's like when you go to the IMAX, see the nature documentaries, right? From the 20 years ago. Yeah, <sighs> no, but uh, there's specifically, there's the, the America movie from the 70s that was like this, like ultra widescreen. Uh, Destiny might know what I'm talking about when I talk about that one. No. Um, well, I was just talking about the, there's, a, there's a thing about Black Widow where in certain cinemas... Yeah, I want to find the picture and send it to her, but I'm looking for it and having a hard time finding it. But it's, it's like how, like... Um, uh, I forget what the actual name is. For in the in the fifties, whatever uh, Cinescope, uh, one of those, not actually that one, yeah. but you know, it had three cameras and everything. Someone's doing a modern equivalent of that. It's like the ca- the the screen is a curve that goes all the way around you uh but it's just like an edit of black widow which is already bad looking boring movie so that wouldn't be good um but i would love to like i in a world where there wasn't the pandemic i would go to theater to see like the spectacle in today's language right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean, they don't really. Yeah, the problem is like CG robbed this for me yes. anyway, and like color correct. Like this movie is beautiful because it's a it's a color movie. When that meant something, you're like, oh, we're gonna fucking make a color film, and we're gonna show all that off, and that's gonna matter. The idea that you could sell a movie on it's really colorful today is like that just doesn't exist. No one's doing that other than nature documentaries, I guess. Mm-hmm. You can get your 4K Blu-ray of like Planet Earth or whatever, um, but you know. No one's doing best art direction color at the Oscars anymore. <laughs> was that a was that a distinction? Yeah, one best art direction color, best cinematography color, best costume design color. Right, they had to. I guess they had to uh, break those for a while. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Because uh, all that stuff is fantastic. I'm not here saying like um, you know the the bit where there's a massive ballet at the end of the movie is bad. Right, that's just not true. It's fantastic. Look at it. Um, mm-hmm. and I especially love when like you know it cuts to that and we go from these realistic you know clearly studio lots right but like Paris sets to this abstract uh, landmarks drawn on the wall uh, nightmare nightmare's the wrong word but like dreamscape of uh, dancing and everyone goes through seven costume changes it really is a huge sequence yeah yeah, uh, and like even at the time, like looking at historical reviews, definitely some people are like, "This is kind of a nothing." You know, it's nice, it looks nice. Everyone likes Gene Kelly; he's a star. But no, like this is one of those like even, like retrospectively, everyone looks at the Oscar win and it's like you know whatever. It, uh, it's the inertia of Gene Kelly and it being an Oscar winner is why people remember it today, and not it's not Singing in the Rain, right? Like if we're going to look at retrospective Gene Kelly musicals, there's a reason that one is like the big enduring one. But I do think this movie has like interesting stuff in it and is like worth watching, especially like the sequence. If you just pull out the sequences, which is, like I feel this way about a, like Fred Astaire movies. I don't particularly like Fred Astaire as an actor. I don't like the movies necessarily, but I'll watch the dance sequences all goddamn day. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um. 
I don't like his like screen presence the same way I like Gene Kelly. I'll just watch him talk to French children and uh, kick his tiny bed up to the ceiling over and over again and have a great time. <laughs> that bit is great. That is great. Yeah, the tiny and apartment. Anytime there's comedy just about living this weird life, it's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like- I'm an American and I'm living in Paris. <laughs> first line. First line of this movie is this is Paris and I'm an American living here. Lost my shit. Had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. That's, that's chappy. That's yes. great. Yeah, no, uh, that's great. But like my highlights in the movie are because I'm so like I'm not only am I not invested in the romance stuff, I think it's written so badly that I like am actively turned off by every single time it ever comes up. And you know, Gene Kelly's just like the rudest human who's ever lived as he's like trying to chase down this girl on a date with another woman. Um, yeah, it's it's so charming. I love it. I eat that shit up. Really? really? Okay. <laughs> Gene Kelly's just an eminently dateable man, and this movie is no exception to me. I just it just comes across like the biggest scumbag, selfish. You living in Paris like oh. I'm so sad going on a date with a rich milf because I saw a teen. <laughs> That's my impression of Gene Kelly. <laughs> Sometimes it just be like that, I, you know. I guess um, this is not like a real. This is not realism, right? Like I don't like the 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 actual nature of his conflict is not real. I don't I don't invest in it. I just think it's charming to watch him bounce from one thing to another and swoon over both situations, and then like kick dirt in the like as he's like shucks. I hate having a rich lady watch over me. <laughs> like, I'd funny. love to have these problems. It's so romantic in like the broader sense of the term. I think the Wanna... thing is how much it invests in the specifics of the way he like goes after the two women. Mm-hmm. Um, that it imbues it with more, like, you know, she he is at, he goes to her work and she's, like, genuinely dreaming, like, please leave me alone in every way that someone would if you did that, uh, in a way that makes it weirder than just the abstract, like, this is, I guess, just a romance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I interrupted Destiny. What were you saying? Oh, no, I was just going to say we want our film to be beautiful and not realistic. <laughs> That's a song lyric. <laughs> Uh, but I was saying before, like my favorite bits were all the like um, bits where uh, uh, Adam is involved because he's not involved with the plot. He really is just a pianist. <laughs> and there's an incredible bit uh, where you don't, they don't realize they're talking about the same woman yet, and he, he knows, and it's just like flop sweating. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a good joke. Yeah, I really like Oscar Levon. I'm gonna have to watch more of his stuff because he was essentially just this composer that would do i can't remember what's my line maybe was the radio show that he was on and he was known for being really quippy and so they put him in movies yep sometimes you're just the funny guy Yep. and then you get then you get to uh cheer for yourself at the uh orchestra which i love it i love that show. <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah you know it is what it is. I don't know. I don't think like your your take on this is like wrong necessarily. No. I just am more fond of this style of movie. Yeah, sorry. I've been I'm I'm being a hater today. Um I, You're allowed. Yep. That's you, hater, famous hater. That's me. I'm like a quiffy guy on a piano. <laughs> we we call we call him uh David Famous Hater. <laughs> David Famous Hater. <laughs> yep. Like famous Vanaman. No, I'm there. I don't worry. <laughs> Oh, no, the writer of X-Men and X2. God! Yeah. God. Done nothing else with his career. He voiced Lupin once. I guess he did that. He was, uh, directed that, like, short for a Watchmen version that never got made before Zack Snyder was involved. God, I don't even know about that. He directed, like, a scene as, like, a proof of concept. Maybe he was going to direct Watchmen because he wrote one of the Watchmen scripts. I th- I'm fairly sure none of his words are in it by the time that it passes to Snyder. Anyway... David Famous Hater. Yeah, that's him. Uh, anyway, we're clearly done here. Is there any final thoughts about this movie, Destiny? Uh, I enjoyed it. I don't know. I'm a fan of fluffy, colorful musicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, I think, like I said, I think this is like a middling one, but I, I, I enjoy it well enough. Um, you know, it's not like a Frank Sinatra film. Fucking hate those. It's the ones I've seen. Not been a huge fan. I like, I've seen um, a single one. I like uh, On the Town. Which also has yeah. Gene Kelly. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Um, okay. It's question time. If you'd like to send questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. They can be about the movies we're covering or anything else. I, I'm happy with just random film movies. Uh, love it. First email is from Gary. 
If you came into a considerable sum of money and were going to move somewhere to be a struggling artist, one, where would you settle down? And two, what field slash craft would you take up? In practical answers, please, you're living the dream, not making a sensible choice. Okay, so let me just parameters here. Uh, I'm not going to be like going broke, but I will be struggling, right? Like in this world, I'm living the yes. like uh, artistic idea of a poor, you know, a mid-century film yes. idea of a poor struggling artist. Yes. Okay. Give me a second. Can I, somebody else can go first. I'm going I'm to think about this. Destiny. I'm just so boring. I'm going to New York. It's the top of the of town. The Bronx are. stays up and the battery's down. Yeah, but yeah. like, are you traveling back in time? Because <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go to like New York today. Fan- right? Fantasy it's- answer. It's a fantasy answer. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm asking for specifics. Okay, that's true. Yeah. It was the it was the fancy answer. You're right. I mean, if we get a good fancy answer, I'm going to the fucking moon, but I guess I'm going to have to pick some place on Earth. The moon is a place on Earth. No, it's not. <laughs> Famous saying. No. <laughs> that's not what this It's not the... Oh, baby, do you know what it's worth? The moon is a place on Earth! <laughs> um, I think I would be, like, a poet in, like, the French countryside. Uh. I think where I'm going. I don't want to be in a city. I want to be somewhere chill where I can just like cook and write. I don't even like writing, but being a poet in the French countryside sounds great. Actually, paint maybe. Maybe I'll maybe I'll illustrate poems. I would make films. Um, I'm clearly going to be like a drummer, right? Um, I'm trying to, but I can't think of where. Like, I guess I just do it in London, but in London where I wasn't. <laughs> I could afford things. I could live in central London and not my like. I had to live in the suburbs and then couldn't afford and had to move out. We're daydreaming. Uh, just, We're daydreaming. Just 70s, 70s London. 70s in London. The, the I mean, 70s London scene. in the terrible punk scene that's about to become thatched. God, no! <laughs> <laughs> I'm living my dad's teenage years. Um, Neil writes in, what combination of nationality and city would make the best movie? I'm going to steal the right answer here and say a Soviet in America. Um... Which is also known as the Americans. I guess it is known as the Americans. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I don't know. What about you? Uh, I mean, I was going to do like I. I can only really do, um, you know, the thing that Emma already said, or I can, you know, make change it to China, right? Some kind of communist situation. Um, but I, any other one is just going to be based on national stereotypes that I don't, I'm not familiar enough to answer with. Yeah, that's not uh, how I feel. It's a bit of a coward move, but I, I, I don't that's, know how I can answer why, this without... That's why I got to steal the Yeah, no, because like, that one's like got a clear line, but there's no other way I can be like, oh, you know, an Italian in fucking, uh, I don't know. Ancient China. Ancient China. <laughs> that's got to be a movie already. <laughs> Italian and ancient China. If they didn't the actual thing that... I thought of that led me to that, and it's not ancient China, it's ancient Japan, is in Turtles 3, they go back in time and teach the Japanese how to make pizza. Um. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, Joe writes in, choose a movie, any movie, to have a 17-minute musical dance sequence without any dialogue. Without any dialogue? Yeah. Like okay. this one. Yeah, no, okay. Um... Which movie would best benefit with a like an abstract dance sequence being added to it? There will be blood. <laughs> I was gonna say Boogie Nights. So <laughs> I almost said Boogie Nights. I feel like Boogie Nights is basically already almost there. I mean, the Big Lebowski does it. Interstellar. <laughs> AI. AI would yeah, AI would be great man shit I'm <laughs> yeah <here for> it. <laughs> i'm actually really here for that one that was good chappy obviously chappy yeah for sure i mean i i can't think of any movies that wouldn't benefit from this i yep. have to agree yeah um if you got the job of coming up with a pitch to an orson Welles movie remake that's specifically marketed to teens what movie would you choose and how would you sell it to the ya audience this is amazing can we have more questions like this in the future this is fantastic uh, i wish okay. i had more time to prepare dusty go orson Welles is trying to make it as a youtuber in- no, no, no! It's like a remake of one of his films. Oh, okay, but but for you can teens. do the, you can do this if you want. If you oh, rather do okay, this. Okay, I was pitching like an actual movie. He's 
trying to make a comeback on YouTube. Okay, um, no, uh, ooh, I'd love to see, like, a teenage version of F for Fake with, like, TikTok and shit. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going with the YouTube thing. I thought, because you, like, F for Fake is already a YouTube essay, just, you know, made by the best director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I definitely want Touch of Evil. I think that's like f- far and away the most ridiculous choice you could do here. What that looks like, how you market Touch of Evil to teens is anyone's guess. Cause I don't want to like do the brick thing because th- that's obnoxious. I I don't know what you do though. <laughs> how do you make Touch of Evil for teens? Uh, do some. I don't know. I don't know. You can you can Touch of Evil is a movie that like is wrapped around the idea that like everyone is old and tired and the world sucks. And how do you get teens to do that? I don't I don't actually know. Maybe teens are all like that. I don't know what teens are like. I'm in my 30s. I was I like that as a teen, teens. but I was not a re- representative choice. <laughs> yeah. I was also old and tired as a teen. Uh, I mean, you could do Citizen Kane's easy. You could do Citizen Kane off the top of your hat. It could be about anything. Right. I was also going to say Touch of Evil. Um, yeah. But do you I... have an idea for how you'd sell it to your kids? Um... <sighs> You'd move where it's sat, probably. Yeah, my thing is, this is 10 years out of date, maybe even like 15 years out of date, I guess, at this point. But if you make Touch of Evil, but instead of like a border town, it is like a vague dystopian feature where he's one of the the corporate cops and everyone's like kind of on the run. Uh, You can just make the like YA dystopia books into Touch of Evil easily. (laughs) I like it going to completely change the context and also ruin twitter for a whole year and do yes. uh touch of evil in in hong kong oh no oh no <laughs> curse uh alec writes in as somebody likes movies but never really knows where to start when looking for one to watch do you have any tips for looking for good or at least enjoyable movies um my advice it, well, two things. One, when you're browsing a service, pick like me and Dusty sit down. And we're like, "What service do I want to look at?" And you're like, uh, "We'll look at Shutter today. We'll look at Criterion." And then you've got about five, maybe ten minutes, and you need to pick something, or you're gonna go and watch another episode of Voyager. That's just what's happening that at any given evening. Trying to like figure it out for like longer than that time is wasting everyone's time. You're not gonna decide anything. Yes. Um, one of you has to just take, if you're watching with someone, you have to take the initiative and be like, I want to watch one of these four things. And then you can like do a random number generator. You can have the other person pick from the four, uh, whatever. Um, totally a way to do this. In terms of like finding things, find directors you like, watch movies of theirs you haven't seen. Uh, I use best of lists all the time. Sometimes they can be very corny and lead you down weird avenues that you don't enjoy. But like, they're there for a reason. They help you pick movies to watch. Uh, and if you're like, I don't like the things that are on ever, like, I'm not going to look at IMDb's best of list. You can go find like one specifically for genres or for uh, like movies that like are underloved or whatever. And you, you find all sorts of lists. Letterboxd is literally with them. And that's like, I don't even go there. I'm like looking at websites. Yes. Um, but you can find direction on movies. People desperately want you to watch because they love them. Um, and those are all equally valid. Just ask your friends, what should I watch? What's on it? Like, they'll be like, oh, what do you have? What streaming service? And then they pick something. Um, get a big plex library that's jackson's answer <laughs> uh, that's actually how you make watching the movies you own into not being able to choose what streaming service to use <laughs> <laughs> um, but i've been i've been doing i've been watching loads of old movies i've been clear i'm this last couple of weeks and go through my library better than i have in a while i've been off it mm-hmm. slightly lately because i've had to many like other things to do i watched i watched mm-hmm. a bunch of movies it's been great i got um uh battleship attempt up next it's gonna be great nice um, i like that movie but uh, generally, I would say, like you know, like I'm said, directors is always a good way. But like more, more like widely, uh, if there's a genre you like and you like one movie, and you say, okay, this is written by this this person stars this, right? If you like, like yes. me, you're like, oh, I want to watch more, you know, seventy uh, spy movies or whatever, which is the thing I'm eating up. Right? And my actual answer when I did this was to go read John Wick away. <laughs> yeah. Um. But you know, there are movie answers like that. Find your little like holes and just follow them. Yeah, like if you're like, I want to get into like, you, I want to sample a genre, so you like pick like, you know, like, I want to get into like romantic comedy for the 90s. There's a list of the best ones. Watch a couple, see if you like them. If you don't, then like, and I'm not that, and then move on to something else. You don't have to commit to anything. You can just do whatever you want. But exactly. it's like, yeah. especially if it's a new genre, knowing what you don't like is equally as valuable, you know. Yes. Uh, you can find out what like appeals to you. Yeah. 
find out maybe and be willing to like look at things like i don't know if this is good necessarily but like if enough people like it, i'm gonna give it a try um some of my favorite movies are movies i did not expect to enjoy going into them mm-hmm. so don't trust um, the synopses just kind of go in never trust a synopsis never. The synopsis will never tell you if a movie's good or not you can't i'm i'll just go off who's in it who's directing it whatever like what the poster looks like much more useful than a synopsis yeah synopses are usually misleading yeah either, like the netflix ones often just are not accurate but also like i can't tell what a good movie is from like what happens in it because yeah. anything can happen in any movie that doesn't matter to me yeah that's true it's, it's, yeah, it's like with trailers, like now. Like if I want watch trailers, if, you know, I haven't gone to a theater in ages. But when I did, you go on, you watch like six trailers, and I'm like, I've no idea which one of these are. Which like they are all kind of bad because they're movie trailers, right? They're like everything gets flattened, uh, in a way that is like this is a hard way for me to tell if I actually want to watch any of these. Not really useful for that purpose. So just just click play on some things. Yep. Yeah. Um, just not don't overthink it. The worst thing that happens is you watch a movie you didn't like, and that like it's like I think Dusty said that's even more instructive than sometimes not uh finding one you really vibe with because like narrowing your possibilities makes me like I don't like X, and for me it's like I'm not super into crime movies anymore. I don't want to watch. I don't necessarily want to watch a movie about some pe- like some people who are all going to betray each other. Like some of them are co- like I don't watch. The, I don't want to watch a movie like The Departed or The Departed ever get in my life. I just want to miss the whole thing. Um, Full up, and uh, and that that means like. You know, there's there's plenty of people who are like, oh, what if repertory screenings did a bunch of Yakuza movies? I'd be miserable. I'm not doing that. We'll do maybe one or two in the future. But, like, that's not what we're, my interest is. Like, so we're not going to cover them. Me and Rick are just going to do a Battles with, uh, Beyond uh, Honor and Humanity podcast. <laughs> just me and Rick. <laughs> yeah. People would eat it up. It'd be <laughs> extremely popular. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, uh, Tron writes some questions in about this movie. Um, what's your favorite song in the movie? I really like um, "It's Wonderful." Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I like. I got rhythm. I just like him hanging out with all the kids. I think it's good. Um, I think I like by Strauss. It's like a big fun num- but number. But it was also the moment where I was like, "Hang on, this song's got nothing to do with anything that's happening." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great. It was a great song. Everyone's having a good time. Yep. Uh, what do you all think about this movie ending up on some of the most overrated movie lists of all time? I think that's fair. I understand how that happens. I d- my thing is, I don't know anyone who thinks this movie is like the greatest movie ever made. It's like, considered you know, one of the greatest musicals ever made. Like when you look up 50 I just greatest think that, musicals. I just think that's people who haven't watched a lot of musicals. I think it's fine. I think it's like a good one, especially in like the dancing stuff. But like in 70 years, like does someone put fucking Green Book on the overrated music movies list? Like I understand that it got a bunch of uh oscars but what does that mean culturally now right like yeah uh i assume that's where a lot of the like overrated stuff is coming from Mm -hmm. yeah uh and then we have uh one more uh email from stove uh favorite musical who's got a favorite musical mine is cabaret and then my second favorite is west side story uh i really like dancer in the dark um sweet charity on the town (laughs) wizard of oz i could just keep naming movies okay you're you're cut off jackson i don't think i have an answer for this um my sister loved musicals more than anyone ever has so like i spent my teenage years really like annoyed at musicals uh and i was like doing so i was in like a theater group that did them and i was always a bit like you know i really liked rent as a teen right like um, yeah i love i still like rent i understand every problem with it i love rent uh but um i, I have i have never really like got into a musical because i the ones i've been introduced to have always been through my sister and i've usually been like this is terrible what is this spring awakening shut up <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm sure if I like explored more, I would find musicals that uh, I do like. But I definitely don't like the trends of um, the musicals I've heard that are, like recent stage musicals. I don't like how any everyone sings. I don't like stage musical voice, at least the modern one. Um, and I know it's like a factor of like you know you got to sing a certain way to be heard in a thing. But I also feel like it's really fake 
and everyone's emoting in the same way which goes against what's acting's meant to be so i've always been a weird musical chip on my shoulder type person but i don't bring it up because it's rude right it's rude to be an anti-musical right, we person shuffle we're gonna shuffle david Hayter off the stage uh <laughs> I like I like Rent, even the movie version, which is corny and bad. Terrible, I like yeah. I like I love the stage version of Phantom. I think the movie's fine. It has its problems. I wish they didn't cut the songs they cut because I like the whole thing. I love every version of Fan of the Opera that's ever existed. I like. It doesn't matter like the early black and white ones, the weird horror ones, the Wishbone one. I don't give a shit. It's all good. I love Fan of the Opera as a story. <laughs> um, um, I uh, Takashi Miike's Happiness of the Katakuris huge favorite of mine what a zany movie that one is if you haven't seen that go seek it out it's a ridiculous remake of a korean film called the quiet family about this family that's trying to run a bed and breakfast and people just happen to die there and it fucking sucks they don't know what to do about it because they sunk all their savings in this bread and breakfast and takashi miki re remade it as like a genre bending musical and it's really good uh just an exceptional film um I like Summerstock. I mentioned it multiple times. It's not like a, it's not like one of the big mid fifties musicals, but it's probably my favorite. I think it's incredible. Um, Xanadu is great fun. Um, that's like Gene Kelly's last role. It's like a goofy eighties, like disco roller skating movie. It's absolutely ludicrous. Um, Mamma Mia is a huge favorite in modern musicals. I love Mamma Mia. What a good time Mamma Mia is. I still haven't seen the sequel. I should watch the sequel. Mm hmm. Um, I just like musicals. Uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I like that. That's it's on good. Criterion right now. Yeah, I should revisit. I haven't seen it in a long time. Same. I, I remember being a big fan of it. Uh, and uh, uh, I like uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Disney shit. Uh, Moana is pretty good. You know, I, I'll, I'll I still show up for a Disney musical. I wish they'd stop hiring Lin Manuel Miranda to write them at this point. Like fucking please. But um, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, next question. Is it better to be an American in Paris or an American werewolf in London? Uh, definitely an American Paris. Definitely. American werewolf in London is not a happy, happy ending. <laughs> um, what movies previously covered by Raptor Screenings would you want a musical version of? Not counting Clerks, since that exists. Hang on. <laughs> Where does that exist? I'm sure there's a stage show, Clerks the Musical, because every fucking cult movie has a musical. Oh, Clerks the Musical, great. What a terrible idea. Um, I mean, the answer is definitely All the President's Men, right? <laughs> that would be so good. Are you kidding? The right stuff? Right stuff musical would be so hilarious. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Mikey and think. Nikki? <laughs> Mikey and Nikki is a great musical, absolutely. Uh, Alf Bill, incredible musical. Yes. Oh, musical. Yeah. <laughs> when the shakes of oh. barley. <laughs> <laughs> the shakes of barley. The musical. Oh God. <laughs> that might be the best answer <laughs> possible. Uh, the ascent. The musical also pretty. That good. sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, Stalker. Stalker. The musical. That one makes too much sense to me. Poltergeist. The musical. <laughs> Which one? Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Oh god! Yes. Specifically for whatever song uh, they get for um before everything kicks off when it's just the two like two old hippies getting stoned and being eighties yeah. parents. That'd be there. You go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one more question: Is there a song from a musical or in general that you no longer associate with its source, like the song "Good Morning" from "Singing in the Rain"? I associate it with Viagra because a commercial I saw a bunch when I was a kid. I think I think movies I think out of this genre of like or, you know mid century musicals there's tons of songs that I watched in these movies I'm like it's from this movie hi never would have thought there's a few of those but I guess it's not necessarily musicals like um, I do not think of I believe I can fly as a song that has any fucking thing to do with Space Jam <laughs> I always think of that as a Space Jam song I'm sorry I can't I'm too young uh, because too young. I watched yeah you're too young. Um, is is the answer on that one uh like i i've never seen phantom in the opera but i love the song phantom in the opera um that's a that's a jam you've never seen phantom of the opera i've never seen a single version of phantom of the opera not once well it's time what's wrong with you your sister loves musicals she doesn't love that she knows my sister loves like currently airing stage musicals okay i i think the one that always comes to mind here is moon river from breakfast at tiffany's when i think about this yeah, I always forget that song's in that movie. It's it's in that movie like eight times. <laughs> I've never seen the movie, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of others, but I, that's not that I many. can't also, think of any. 
I assume that there's some that, that are this, but I don't know because I've separated them from their source, right? Mm-hmm. Mrs. Robinson's one where, like, I saw The Graduate 20 years after I heard Mrs. Robinson 800 times. Um, yes. Well, and then so even though I know, like, I know it's from The Graduate, like, it's, you know, um, I still just think of it as, like, a cool song. It happens to be in a movie I also like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, I always think of as a Spider-Man song and not Butch Cassidy, because I've never seen Butch Cassidy. I've never so. seen that either, but yes, I do think of the <laughs> bit where I get, I assume the Spider-Man bit is literally just a reference to the Butch Cassidy bit. Yeah, I assume so as well. But I don't know. Yeah. Uh, any other answers? I don't have any. I'm sorry. You're fine. Uh, all right. That's it. That's everything. Um, uh, we will be back next time. And we're watching... Uh, what are we watching, Jackson? The Grand Budapest Hotel. That's right. That's right. I forgot. It flew out of my head. Um and uh, that'll be good. I'm, I, me and Destiny have not seen it. Jackson has. Um, but it's been since it was new, right? Yeah. So, no, it's been. Oh, God, it's it. been seven years. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, so that's it. Plugs Destiny. At Fridge Buzz Now on social media. My other podcast is called Badland Girls. We are on abnormalmapping.com slash Badland Girls. Jackson. You can find me at Headfuls Off on twitter.com you can find the podcast that me and em do at abnormalmapping.com a bunch of cool good ones there go listen to them go listen to blockbusters yes uh blockbusters is not uh free you have to go to patreon.com slash normal mapping give us five dollars a month for blockbusters we're about to watch uh true lies for that uh we watched final fantasy spirits then last month um i'm on twitter at em underscore being again you can support us patreon.com slash normal mapping i have a new podcast where we watch batman stuff called gotham city limits which you can find at export odd.io that's like audio with a dot in there uh, slash batman uh and we're we watch batman 89 that episode will be out next week for everyone who's in the the public feed um and it was a good episode we just talk about that movie that movie's got a lot going on um there will be some crossover because i think jackson's going to join us some distant day to watch batman forever because i've been wanting to talk about batman forever with jackson for years now yeah i mean as long as you give me enough warning i will be on whatever i'm told <laughs> yeah yeah uh anyway that's it movies now more than ever do not expect to like them if you're a david hater if you're a david hater exactly <laughs> what a joy this... when i when i didn't like prometheus i was a david hater, you're a david hater. <laughs> i love that you went to go your brain went oh shit what's a movie character named david and you were like ah <laughs>